Yeah, Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much for Paul. We thank you for his faithfulness and willingness to dig into your word, to bring out the truths and to share it with us. We just thank you that we have the privilege and delight to just sit now and receive from your very word, from your very truth. And we pray that we do that with just hearts that are open to be changed by Jesus Christ. In your name, amen. 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 Thank you, Ash. Yeah, it was six weeks ago when uh, we were still doing the series on questions that Jesus asked. And uh, the question I dealt with that morning was the one found in Matthew 26, verse 40. Uh, They were in the garden and Jesus was agonizing in prayer. And uh, he'd, he'd taken three of the disciples with him and asked them to pray with him, stand with him, watch with him is the word that he used. And uh, coming back to them, he discovered that they'd fallen asleep every time. And he asked this question. He said, could you not watch with me for one hour? And a free translation of that word watch Uh, I would suggest this, could you not be with me in spirit for one hour? We then went on to talk about the value of dwelling in the secret place, that place of watching, a place that is more than just casual prayer, It's a place where you take a deeper step into God. And uh, the the British theologian Matthew Poole had this to say about that particular phrase, could you not watch with me? He said it's referring to a greater watching, a spiritual watching. It is is a, a matter of your heart, your spirit, interlocking with that of God's. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, you begin to pray, you begin to experience things that are not normally your experience because you've gone deeper into the things of God. And so I... I'm speaking about dwelling in the secret place, as Psalm 91 refers to it, the secret place of God, or greater intimacy with God. It's just a few sentences after Jesus asked that question that he said to them, I, you, you need to watch and pray. So he was, he was differentiating here. Jesus was acknowledging it's essential to pray. We must never ever stop praying, but he he, he said there is a need to also watch. And I I lean back on Matthew Poole's uh, commentary of that saying, it's referring to a spiritual watching. Uh, it's, It's a matter of going beyond what we are normally involved in, in terms of our walk with God, where we pray, and we ought to pray, we must pray. But this is a challenge for us for a deeper experience. And I find as I look at Scripture that this has been the heartbeat of God from the very beginning. You find it with Adam and Eve. God wanted fellowship with them. Uh, he, he, he came walking in that garden and looking for them. He wanted fellowship with them. We see that uh, in the life of Abraham. God comes and, and he seeks out Abraham. He reveals himself to Abraham. Abraham wasn't looking for him in that sense, but he reveals himself to Abraham because he wants to experience that intimate fellowship with him. And we see it carried on in the nation of Israel. God wanted a people who would demonstrate him to other nations. 
And we'll see in a few moments that God, God made a decision to, to uh, enhance that desire of his heart. And we, we move on from Israel, and, and, and you see it in the life uh, of so many of the Old Testament saints. God reaching out to them. God wanting more of himself involved with them. And it's exactly the same today with us, the church of Jesus Christ. He desires that deeper place with us. Close fellowship with his people. In Exodus 25 verse 8, God speaks to Moses and he gives him this instruction. He says, let the people make me a sanctuary. Why? That I may dwell in their midst. Can you see the heart of God? Here he is again. He's reaching out. He wants an intimate, more, more intense fellowship with his people. That I may dwell in their midst. And then in uh, chapter 29 he says, It is there in that sanctuary that I will meet with you and I will speak to you. We're going to refer to Exodus 33 in a few moments, but we'll see that that's exactly what happened. God would meet with Moses. Moses would meet with God. A powerful insight into the heartbeat of God. God wants that for you. He wants it for me. Not just for those people mentioned in the Old Testament. So I ask you a question this morning. Who would know best how to approach God? Would it be God or would it be Moses? Well, obviously, it would be God. And so God proceeds to give Moses precise instructions on how to construct that tabernacle, the Old Testament tabernacle or the Moses tabernacle, as it is often referred to. And What this tabernacle does, it reveals to us how we can approach God. It was very relevant and very practical for the Old Testament saints, the the nation of Israel, how they approached God, the steps that needed to be followed in, in similar fashion are steps that apply to us today as we come to that secret place, as we seek to know God. I'm going to ask Glenn to throw up the uh, uh, diagram of of the Old Testament tabernacle. Let me just mention that that is not to scale. If it were to scale, then uh, the outer court would be much larger than the holy place or the holy of holies. But uh, never mind, It, it serves our purpose this morning. And the way we come in is through the gate of salvation. Salvation is only possible because there was the place of sacrifice, the brazen altar. The brazen altar is where the animals were brought and where they they were slaughtered and where they were sacrificed before God in the priestly ministry. And, And without the shedding of blood... The Bible says there is no forgiveness of sin. And so we, we have to come via salvation. And it is only as we come via salvation and the, 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 the um, cross of Jesus Christ, because that's what the brazen altar speaks of. It speaks about the, the sacrifice of Jesus himself for all mankind. And it's only as we come via that that we can ever hope to get into the secret place. So we have here in the furnishings of that tabernacle of Moses, the Old Testament tabernacle, we have here a a vivid story of our approach to the Holy of Holies where the very presence of God dwells. And we're going to talk about the presence of God. We're going to look at it. And we'll do so as we move our way through this diagram. The priesthood, as they, they sacrificed, they had to come to the 
brazen laver, the, the, the laver that was made with the looking glasses of the women. And uh, they, they had to wash their hands and their feet there. And that, that, that laver speaks to us today of the washing of the word of God. Uh, James reminds us so clearly in the first chapter. He says this, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. Now he's looking into the word, for he looks at himself and then goes away and at once forgets what he looked like. The mirror is the word of God. And the word of God exposes, unveils the heart of man. Because we read the heartbeat of God in his word. His will is his word. His word is his will. And as we look into the word, we see what God requires. We see what pleases his heart. But if we look at it, and we acknowledge, well, that's what God says, then we go away and we, we don't do it. We've ceased to be a doer of the word. We've only become someone who looks into that mirror. And so that, that was made from the looking glasses of the ladies of the camp of Israel. And the priests would be able to see their reflection in that labor as they washed their hands and as they washed their feet. Now I want to remind you this morning. That was, uh, that was a precise procedure required of the Old Testament priesthood. But you do know, don't you, that we are a New Testament priesthood. You and I, according to the book of Peter, the first letter, he refers to us as being a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood. And so we, 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 we discover now as we're looking at this that what was essential for the Old Testament priesthood is also important for New Testament believers. So we're not just looking at history, we're looking at history interpreted into modern day requirements, contemporary requirements. So that's the outer court. Now the outer court, I would suggest, refers to the general presence of God. God is everywhere. Is there anywhere where he's not? We're challenged in one of the Psalms, if you go to the highest mountain, to the deepest depths, uh, no matter where you go, there God is, and he will find you. So God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. And I, I say again, the outer court is where we find the general presence of God, simply because he's everywhere. And when we look at the outer court, we see it's a place where there's an awful lot of activity. There's much happening in the outer court. Animals are being brought and animals are being slaughtered and animals are being offered as sacrifice. It was, it was much toing and froing. It was, it was happening 24, uh, well, except for the Sabbath. It happened every other day of the week. And they, don't forget they were they, they reckon about three million people in the camp and they were bringing their sacrifices so that they could be in right standing with God. And once we leave the outer court and we move into the holy place or the inner court, the general presence of God here in the outer court, but a more heightened presence of God in the holy place. Because there is excluded all that activity that was taking place in the outer court. And it's, it's, it's more of a hush when you come into that inner court. And again, the, the, the furnishing speaks to us of our approach to that, that holy place in God, that secret place in God. We have the golden lampstand. And it speaks of Jesus who is the light of the world. In that place, the inner court or the holy place, it was the only light in that room. And Christ is the only light that will help this world. He himself said that I am the light 
of the world. And then we come to the table of showbread, the bread of life. We've just partaken of the broken body, the symbols of the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there would be the, the showbread dedicated on that table. And again, it speaks of Jesus. Our approach is always in and via Jesus. It can never be without Jesus. There were those who tried to offer strange fires on the altar of incense, and they were immediately struck. God would not accept strange fires. We can only come via Jesus Christ. It's in in him that we find the fullness of our provision what we require spiritually as we approach the secret place. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. At the moment, we're, we're doing a series on the, on the Lord's Prayer, as it is called. Uh, and, and one phrase in that prayer is, give us our daily bread. Well, when we're saying that, we're looking to Jesus because he is our bread. Not only has he brought us salvation, But it's through him and in him that we have provision for our needs. It's through him and in him that we have healing for our bodies. It's through him and in him that we have deliverance from the darkness of the kingdom of Satan. In Christ, our bread of life. And then that last item of furnishing the altar of incense. This is such a beautiful picture of what we've been doing this morning. The priest would come with incense and in that altar would be some of the glowing coals that had come off the, off the, uh, the brazen altar. And he would, he would take the incense and as he stood before the holy of holies, the very presence of God, he would pour that incense onto the coals and that incense would rise and it would fill that entire room with the aroma. And that's what we do when we worship friends. That's what we do when we come before the very presence of God. We are pouring onto the altar of incense our worship. We're pouring onto it our adoration. We're pouring onto it our devotion to him and it rises like a sweet-smelling fragrance in the nostrils of God, if I can put it like that. Into his very presence. Worship will usher you into the presence of God more so than any other activity. And as we, that's why, we, you know, it's so important when we're doing this, it's so important that we get our minds fixed on what, what we're saying as we sing words. It's so important that we focus on Jesus because we're pouring incense onto that altar and we're coming before him with our worship. It's also a praise, a place where intercession took place. And so the inner court was a place nowhere near as busy as the outer court or general life, if you like it. The inner court is more of a devoted situation. It's where we're experiencing a heightened presence of God. Beautiful symbolism. Wonderful patterns that God gave us in the Old Testament that help us who are New Testament believers. Intercession, worship, as we come right before his presence. You see, out here in the outer court, We have sacrifice. We have death. And so we too must die to ourselves as we seek to enter into the very presence of God. We die to our wants. We die to our comfort zones. We die to our conveniences. And we make a determined decision. I'm heading for the secret place. And we then come in from where we die into where we begin to participate. We participate in that altar of worship, of intercession. We participate 
in partaking of him as our bread of life. We participate as we honor and worship he who is the light of the world. He's filled my life with light. I know that I am on the inside burning brightly, not because what I am, but because of who I've become in Christ. He is the light. And so you, my friends, you have a light shining in you. Remember the story of witchcraft in South Africa? Uh, uh, On one of the beaches they were holding some kind of ritual. uh, And and one of God's saints, an old lady in her 80s, was going for a, a, a stroll before going to bed. And she walked down that section of the beach. And uh, they were there performing their rituals, whatever it was. And uh, it, uh, to cut a long story short, one of those witches came to Christ and uh, later testified, told the, the, the old lady that when you came down that beach, we were filled with fear because you shone like a light. And we are to shine like lights in the darkness because we have the light of Christ within us. We are bread, salt, nourishment, everything that is good in a rotten, fallen, stinking old world. Saints, embrace your position in Christ as you go forth day by day. So I've died in the outer court. I'm participating in the inner court, in worship, intercession, and praise. And now, I come to the holy of holies. The most holy place. In the outer court was the general presence of God. As I worshipped, interceded, and as I, I ministered in the holy place, it was a heightened presence of God. But the secret place is where I find the intense presence of God. As I come into that place, it's awed silence. All that activity in the outer court, even the activity in the inner place, hushes down. And I'm in awed silence before the presence of God. My question for which I don't ask for raised hands is how many of us have been there? How many of us have felt the intense presence of God to such a degree that petitions, requests, vocalized prayer is no longer necessary? We're just before the Almighty awesome presence of a living God. It's a holy place. It's a holy place. And I can say with certainty and confidence this morning, God wants you there. He wants you to know that. He wants you to experience that. He's seen what you've done in the outer court and it pleases his heart. He's seen what you've done in the holy place and it pleases him. Now he wants to interweave with your spirit, his spirit with your spirit. I want to give you just a few reasons why I believe it's so important. It's important because the more time we spend in the secret place, the more we will understand God's ways. God's ways. We ask for his acts. We want to see signs and wonders. We want to see healings. We want to see those days so important. God, please give us more of that. But we need to understand 
his ways. In Exodus 33, that chapter I referred to earlier on, Moses is talking to God about the way forward in leading Israel into their promised land. And there's a pivotal moment in Moses' interaction with God because he says in verse 13, Teach me your ways that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Clearly God answered his request because in Psalm 103 verse 7 it says God made known his ways to Moses and his acts, his deeds to the people of Israel. This request of Moses is such a noble request. I'm making it my request. Will you make it your request too, please? I've said it's great to see the miracles and the signs and the wonders. It's great to see that. But I would suggest to you humbly this morning that it is better to know God's ways. The ways of God. They are the, the, the principles in which he governs mankind. They are the conditions on which he acts on behalf of people. They are referring to his methods, his, his conditions, his laws, his responses, his manner and methods of dealing with mankind. If all we ever see are the acts of God, we'll never fully understand why some things happen. Because you see, knowing the ways of God will reveal to us the acts of God. His acts is what Israel saw. They saw the sea parting. Wow! Can you imagine that? See the Solon parting and we just drive across? They saw the Red Sea part. They saw water coming out of an inanimate rock, enough to quench the thirsts of millions of people. They saw God overcome their enemies. They saw God as he performed a wondrous supply of food for them on a daily basis. They saw his act as he led them by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire by night. They saw all those things. They'd seen the awesomeness of God at Mount Sinai when he, when he gave them the law. It frightened them so much they didn't want to go near the place. They saw the acts of God. But I suggest to you that they did not see what Moses saw. They saw less than Moses did. Because Moses understood the ways of God that rested behind his acts, behind his deeds. My friends, by spending time in the secret place, we'll get to know Father's ways. There will be an unfolding, a deeper revelation, a better understanding of how God is dealing with us why some things are happening in our circumstances. I, I just want to, I want to insert something here. Please, I'm not trying to speak to you from somewhere, somewhere where, you know, someone who's done it, someone who's been there, someone who's watched all the videos and I've got the T-shirt. I'm not, I've told you how many times now I'm on a journey. The last two years have been a journey for me. I'm beginning to see things 
that I'd known and preached about and, and, and could, I could talk to you about it. But I, I'm getting a deeper revelation of those truths. And God wants that for every single one of us. I referred to Exodus 33. And I find it a very emotive chapter of Scripture. Because it paints for us a picture of the tent of meeting being right there in the center of the camp. And all the tribes camped around it. And Moses would go to the tent of meeting. And he'd get there. And it says the entire nation stood at the doors of their tents and watched. And there he would enter the tent of meeting. The Bible's words, not mine. And God would meet with him face to face. God would speak to him as a friend to friend. And Moses would come out of that place and the people will have worshipped and he'd be able to give them the heartbeat of God for what that time required. There's a vast portion of the church that haven't moved into the tent of meeting. They're watching your life. They need, they need to see what comes forth as you spend that time with him in the secret place. They need to know what God is saying, what God is speaking as you come out of that place of revelation where the eyes of your heart have been enlightened and you're able to impart hope and life and blessing. God said something to Moses in, 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 in Exodus 33 that I, I have never ever lost the impact of that to my heart over many years. Every time I read it, oh God. Because Moses said to him, I want to see your face. God said, you can't look upon my face because you'll die if you see my face in its unadulterated glory. But then he added this. There's a place by me where you can stand on the rock. There's a place by God where, where you, my friend, can stand on the rock. And I suggest to you, it is the secret place. It is the place where we've come away from the toing and froing, the coming and the going and the doings of, of all that is our walk with God. It's great stuff, but there is a place where you come into that inner court, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. He, personal pronoun. He, available for you and for me to experience. It's our New Testament privilege. Paul says, I always pray to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that he may grant you a spirit of wisdom and revelation, a spirit of insight into mysteries and secrets in the deep and intimate knowledge of him. The NIV says that you may know him better by having the eyes of our hearts that spiritual sight of our spirit flooded with light. God waits for us to come so that he can do it. 
Psalm 103 verse 7, it says, God made known to Moses. It's not something you and I can conjure up. It's not something that we, by ticking a long list of things, can see happen. God makes it. When he sees the heart, he responds in a manner that only he can respond. God made it known. He did not leave Moses to discover the truth for himself. God, by the Holy Spirit, is our instructor. And he'll teach us what he's waiting for is our willingness. Listen. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. Because your flesh doesn't want it. Satan doesn't want you to have it. It's going to take discipline. It's going to take determination. God help us to do it. You see, our New Testament privilege as New Testament priests is, is, is given to us in Jesus' words in John 16 where he says, the Holy Spirit will bring glory to him, to Jesus, by taking from what is his and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. Think of that. All that belongs to God, awesome God, unmeasurable God, eternal God, all that belongs to him is also belonging to Jesus. Now get this. That is why Jesus speaking, that is why I said, the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. The secret place will open our spiritual eyes to his ways. I think another important matter is the fact that we have a lot of positional truth. It's fact. But how deep is our revelation of that truth? We live spiritually in lack because we only have a partial revelation. There's so much we could say about our positional truth, but let me just list a few things to you. We are God's if we are saved. We belong to him. We are seated in heavenly places. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. I mean, you need to think these things through. You need to meditate on these truths. We are more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. These and many more other things are positional truths. They cannot be altered. They remain there forever. We have these things positionally. But often, for a number of believers, they are not a reality. They can quote it. They can give you the scripture reference. They might even share it in a testimony. But they have not grasped the full truth and significance of these positional truths. Can I gently suggest that perhaps it's a lack of intimacy that puts us in that place of not having a fully developed revelation of these truths. We're very good. We, we, no, correction. We're not very good at listening. 
It's all, it's all just a hustle and bustle. We're so busy with so many things that to grow quiet and listen takes effort, takes discipline. It's also called waiting on God. Isaiah 40 verse 31, powerful scripture says, but they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and they will not faint. A wonderful promise. But you have to wait upon the Lord. That term wait upon is, is in the Hebrew a primitive root, but it means to knit together, to twist together as one would the strands of a rope for the purposes of making it stronger. And it's as we spend that time with God, communing spirit to spirit, that that knitting takes place. That twisting takes place. Man with God Redeemed, born-again man with God. Making the rope stronger. And for that reason, I would say it's so important to learn to wait on God. Our core scripture, which is Psalm 91 verse 1 and 2 says, He who dwells, he who waits, he who abides in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. If you look that up in your concordance, you'll see that that the word dwells actually means you make your living place there, your abode, you make it there. Because you've come via the outer court. You've been through the holy place. All the, all the, you've moved out of the busyness of the outer and the inner courts. And now you move into the shadow of the Almighty. Think of it. A shadow is attached to the object that creates the shadow. Remember, it's a little kid trying to run away from my shadow. And I couldn't succeed. The shadow is attached to the object. And if we are in the shadow of the Almighty, we are right there where he is. The Holy Spirit inspired scripture and inspired words. It means something. When it says if we will dwell in the secret place, we'll then experience what it means to be in the shadow of the Almighty. It requires dedication. I've said that. It requires discipline. It requires determination. And I just wonder how many of us will do it. I say that in love. We need to set a designated time. Look at your day and decide when it is the best time for you to do it. You needn't think in terms of an hour, but think in terms of at least 15 minutes. At least 15 minutes. Look, that TV show will do nothing for your eternal life. But 15 minutes with God will What you read out of the pages of your favorite newspaper will do nothing for your eternal life. But the word of God will give you life. I'm going to be straightforward. Saints, you do not need that stuff. But we're so hooked on that stuff. I hope you still love me. 
remove all possibilities of interruptions. Leave your cell phone somewhere else. Take the landline off the hook. Focus your mind on Jesus. And I tell you, the devil's going to have a go at your mind. You're suddenly going to remember 101 things that are very important things. Well, I'll tell you what, jot them down on a, on a yellow sticket note or whatever. And once you've jotted it down to remind you, forget it. Get back and focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. See him as he is. See him as he's described in Revelation. That helps me tremendously. I don't try and think what he might look like. That's building an idol. I go straight to the Word of God and I I, I see what the Word of God says he looks like and that's what I put before me. Your mind is trained to operate in the natural realm. Your spirit is wired to operate in the spirit realm. And that's why the mind and the body has to become subjected to the spirit. Let your spirit tell your body, quiet. Let it tell your mind, settle down. And get back into focus on the things of God because your body will try to impose its own agenda. Focus. Jesus, in that passage of Scripture where he challenged them, he said, could you not watch with me for one hour? He he says in verse 41, the flesh is weak. The human nature, our fallen nature, that that part of us, the the carnal part is, is, is so weak. But it's the spirit of man that looks most like God. And it's there that the Holy Spirit dwells. The Bible makes it very clear. Your body houses your spirit. And the Holy Spirit has made it his temple. I've run out of time. I still have another two points to go but I have to leave it. Saints, I I am trusting the Spirit of God to awaken something in our hearts. I'm a novice, I'm a beginner with you, but I've seen the truth. I've spotted the promised land in a spiritual sense. And I say, please let us not become victims of of what happened to Moses where all he could do was stand on a high mountain and see the promised land in the distance, but he never entered it. I know by the Spirit of God that he's challenging us to enter into the secret place. Because that's where his treasures are. Your life will never be the same again. You'll never look at the challenges of life in the same way again. You won't look at them and crumble at the knees, so to speak. Oh, God. No. You'll see it, and it will be fact, but you'll know in your heart that it's not final. And you'll rise up to your full spiritual stature and you'll be able to confront sickness. You'll be able to confront hardship. You'll be able to confront that which comes against you. And you'll be able to say, I am more than a conqueror through Christ. And it's no longer just a positional truth. It's a revelation in your heart. And it bubbles out from the inside into the outside. And the way you talk will be different. 
the way you perceive, perceive it will be different. He who dwells in the secret place will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. That's where I'm headed. That's what I want. And I hope you do too. Let's stand. I don't know. Maybe in three weeks' time I'll do part... Six weeks' time I'll do part three. (laughs) All I'm saying to you is that this is a truth we dare not push aside. God wants us there. If I can put it like this, he's waiting for us there. He wants us in the secret place. And so if it's your heart's desire... Even if you're looking at stuff and you say, oh my goodness, I wonder if I can. If it's your heart's desire, will you unite with me in prayer right now? Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us life which is eternal. Life which is more abundant. Thank you for bringing to us a way of living that is superior to that which the fallen world would impose on us. Thank you for all that you've made available to us. Thank you that you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Thank you that you've given us everything we need for life and for godliness. Thank you that you've given us a way of escaping the corruption brought about by sin. We thank you for it. And now here we are. Lord, you know us, you know our struggles. And I just pray in the name of Jesus that the desire to draw into the secret place will be stronger than anything else within us. Holy Spirit, will you do that work, please? That we as a people might move closer to you. That we might be those who, as we come to the tent of meeting, that is, coming to you to to be in that place of, 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 of interceding for, you, for others, a place of representing you to others, that it will cause many people to stand at the doors of their tents, the doors of their lives, to observe and to worship God because of it. I ask that because I believe it is your heart too, Father. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm just the funny old codger from Africa. (laughs) But I pray you'll hear my heart. And I'll pray you'll dig into the word of God like you've never done before. Because God wants to take you into a new place, a new experience. God bless you. Go walking in that truth.